0: Hey, guys, did you miss us? Because we missed you guys, and we're back on the air, JT and I, for Out of Bounds with Dylan James. Thanks so much for listening to us. Thanks for always supporting us. But, you know, tonight is the first podcast we've had in a while, JT, and we talk about a lot on this podcast.
1: Yes, Dylan. We've got a lot to cover today in sports with basketball, hockey, football, you name it. We got it all. So stay tuned.
0: Stay tuned. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Out of Bounds with Dylan James. Ugh. Feels so good to be back on the airwaves. Thanks for tuning into the show this week. My name is Dylan James. This is Out of Bounds with Dylan James. My co-host is via FaceTime Audio tonight jt taylor we are still observing the social distancing rules so do not worry we are playing it safe here at out of bounds and jt you are as well
1: i uh, certainly am dylan uh, i wish we were obviously facing each other face to face but with everything going on in the world you know we have to promote social distancing is what everybody else is doing so we gotta do that for our listeners
0: yes and uh, you know wearing masks is not really conducive to what we're doing right now but we do wear masks in public don't worry jt has this very cool under armor face mask that he was talking to me about earlier before we got on the air and um it sounds really really awesome but you know the masks are very fashionable yeah a
1: lot of people are getting very creative with the mask um where it's at Disney or, you know, you go to a uh, place like Etsy.com. I've seen people where, like, on the news, where, like, they'll take pictures of, like, your face and then, like, they'll put, like, on the mask. So it looks like you're smiling, even though you have a mask on. So, yeah, people are getting really creative with the mask. And, hey, it's making companies lots of money to stay afloat. So, hey, why not?
0: Yeah, exactly. And I have have a Nashville Predators mask I've been wearing. Unfortunately, they're no longer in the hunt for the Stanley Cup this season. But we'll talk more about that in the show. We have a lot of talk about NHL, NBA, MLB, Bubble Cities. We talk about everything on this show. So let's just dive right into it, JT, because it's been a long time coming and I'm ready to talk sports with you. So let's talk about the NHL first. The bubble cities have been working out fantastic for this league, by the way. So Toronto and Edmonton are the two bubble cities. The West is in Edmonton. The East is in Toronto. What do you think about this whole production so far that the league has put on for the Stanley cup qualifiers?
1: Dylan, I think the uh, league production has, has been great, uh, especially for a fan. I mean, you basically having hockey for the middle of the day. And so late at night, literally. So, uh, well, uh, day entertainment uh, of hockey, and I think for the NHL, it's it's worked out perfectly. Two bubble cities up in, in Canada, twenty-four teams battling for a chance to to bring the cup back home. So I think it's a uh, great from a marketing perspective. I know some people are like, "Well, the teams ranked below, like they don't even care? They're gonna get beaten up bad." But some teams had other ideas that we'll get to in a minute, and uh, it's just all around. Great entertainment as a, a fan to watch. Even though there's no fans in the games, you're still getting solid play. And that's the thing I was kind of concerned about when the thing started was players going be rusty. You know, haven't skated around four months. But the NHL is smart. You know, have a month, get some training, do quarantine, all that, get yourself ready, and then right when we start on August first, boom, hit and run. Let's go. So it's worked out so far.
0: I think so too. I think that the players. None of the players have lost their step, it seems like, going into this. I know we had an exhibition game. That very first game, it did seem like there was some rust still on some players and some, some communication breakdowns and things of that nature. But I think overall, the product they've put on the ice has been very, very good. And this is probably one of the most difficult ways to win the Stanley Cup, especially since they've had about a four-month break before this happened. And all of these teams are healthy. I think the only player that really isn't healthy coming out of this was Steven Stamkos, which he had a lingering issue, and he's still kind of hindered. His play has been hindered by that for quite some time. But other than that, though, I mean, all the players seem like they're playing very well for their respective clubs, and it's just been very competitive hockey. It's been great to watch, and some of these series we've seen, like you said, have been kind of shocking, which the first series we'll talk about, The Chicago Blackhawks versus the Edmonton Oilers, and going into the series, I thought Edmonton was going to have the Chicago Blackhawks number, especially since Edmonton has a very potent offense there with Connor McDavid, Leon Drysidel, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, some very, very good offensive minds there on the Oilers' offense, but then you come in, and the Chicago Blackhawks stunned them and won the series, and they're moving on to the playoffs.
1: Yes, Dylan. I was very surprised about the Blackhawks' performance, but they literally took it to the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, and remember, the Blackhawks—they haven't won a playoff series since 2015. Of course, that year they also won a Stanley Cup. So it's been a while for the Blackhawks. But you gotta give credit to, of course, I mean Corey Crawford. Uh, Corey Crawford had a stellar performance in this series against the Edmonton Oilers. Jonathan Tays. Stepped up um, when his team needed him the most, and the Blackhawks. I think a lot of people left them for dead after, you know, not making the playoffs the last couple of years, but they've shown up. And the Edmonton Oilers. You know, I'm not sure what happened. They really struggled a lot in this series. I mean, their goalkeeper kept them in it, but outside of that, you know, Connor McDavid, even though he had uh, nine points in four games, wasn't enough. And, of course, you had uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins get a goal to try to keep it in for the Oilers. But, you know, the Oilers, they're they're going home. So that was uh, a very surprising result that I don't think a lot of people expected.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that, again, I thought the Oilers were going to win. I thought the Oilers were going to be the better team in this. I didn't think Crawford was going to play as well. And especially having Malcolm Subban as the backup goaltender there. If anything happened to Crawford, Subban would have to go in place of him. And we know that Subban, to me, I don't think Subban is a starting goaltender in the league. Uh, not yet, anyway. But I, I think that he's a good backup. But I don't think he could he could steal games or win games, many games, for the Blackhawks in that manner. So, with the Blackhawks, though, they just had the perfect combination of experience and youth. And it proved to be very valuable for the club itself. And Corey Crawford was very strong in this series. And you look at the Oilers' side of things, Connor McDavid just can't do it by himself. You look at Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Leon Dreisaitl, they accounted for 23 of 36 of the points scored in that series for the Oilers. Which in that situation, to me, it sounds like they need more secondary help. They need more secondary scoring. So guys like James Neal. James Neal scored, I think, two goals and one assist in the series. But the rest of the series, where was he at? You just need secondary scoring for those guys. And Connor McDavid can't do it all by himself. Like I said before, goaltending was an issue on the Oilers' side. I mean, I don't think it was as strong as it should have been. But at the same time, you can't just lay it all on the goaltender at this point. It, It was secondary scoring because, you know, with the Oilers they're a team that they score so many goals that you just can't keep up and that's usually their mo is that you have Connor mcdavid you have leon drysdale you have ryan Nugent hopkins you have these players tyler ennis which he was injured in, in game four so he didn't play but you have these players scoring so much that the other team is having trouble catching back up in the system so in that situation it just didn't happen chicago was playing them stride for stride was able to get leads, and was able to defend these offensive juggernauts with Corey Crawford. Corey Crawford was stopping a lot of shots on goal, and it was frustrating, those stars. But at the same time, you know, I think it was very interesting to see the Blackhawks so strong in this series. And it's going to be really intriguing to see what happens when they go into the actual playoffs. But speaking of another strong team that got bounced from the playoffs very, very early were the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, what do you think happened in that series to where they weren't able to
1: advance to the next round? Dylan, I think with the Penguins, they just, it just looked like they were rusty getting going into the start from the series. Now, I know the Penguins, before the shutdown happened, they were kind of struggling a bit, and that's why they ended up uh, losing a few games before the shutdown, and that's, while well, they were based at the fifth spot, and unfortunately for them, they got stuck playing the Canadians, even though I was looking at me outside, oh, oh, Pittsburgh, they should handle the Canadians. This is a team that, you know, they've two twice this season have had eight game losing streaks. You just wouldn't think on paper they can hang with the Penguins. Not only that, Dylan, the Penguins also had uh, Jake Genslow coming back because he was out for a while. If this was during normal time, he probably would not come back till late. If the Penguins made a deep run, but he was healthy, and was I thought he was going to make the difference? <clears throat> but uh, Carey <clears throat> <K-Kary> Price <clears throat> had other ideas. Basically, it was a man in his head out there for the Canadians. And Crosby, you know, tried to keep going at Malkin, but Price was stellar performance making saves, and, and the Penguins were only able to get out of four games. They only beat the Canadians once. Only once. And that was a, a 3 nothing beatdown in the second game. I mean, I, the first game, Matt Murray had a bad game. He, he was he did not have a good game in the first game. So I figure, okay, made the Penguins with the first game. They'll bounce back and win the series. But they only won game two. And after that, the rest was history as you see it.
0: Yeah, and they actually made that goaltender change in game four to try to spark something with the Penguins by putting Jari in net. But that didn't that proved to be obsolete in this point because it actually led to a shutout. For the Canadians, and it actually led Crosby to be scoreless on his birthday, which is incredible. You would think that it being his birthday, he'd actually want to score at least one goal, but he was unable to do that. And the Canadians just came to play in this series. I think that Carey Price showed he still got some in the tank. I don't know how much he has left in the tank, but for this series, he played very well. We'll see how it translates to the next the next round to see if he can continue this strong play. But the Canadians just came to play. Shea Weber played very, very strong, averaging about 25, uh, 25 minutes and 53 seconds uh, time on ice every single game, which is incredible for him. And he was also tied for team lead in points with four points in that series, which is huge for Shea gave him some confidence going into the next round. And the thing is too, you you think of it this way, in the season at the trade deadline, they were trading away pieces left and right. Montreal was thinking they weren't in yeah. this they weren't going to be in this position. But then they're in this position now. Those players, it's kind of like the lost Las Vegas Golden Knights their first season when they had all these players with chips on their shoulder and they go into the playoffs and make this huge run. So Montreal on the flip side, You have Montreal here with these players that they have chips on their shoulders thinking, well, we weren't traded away. I guess we're not valued that much by the league. Let's show them what we can do in the playoffs. They got the chance. They capitalize on the opportunity, and they're moving on to the next round. But the only bad thing about this is the Penguins now have a shot at the number one draft pick all the teams who lo- who lost in the first qualifying round of the, of the playoffs this season have a 12.5% chance of getting the first overall pick. So that could be possibly a belated birthday present for Sidney Crosby if they're able to grab that number one draft pick. Do you think it's worth it for these teams, especially the teams that lost? Do you think it's worth it for them to lose a series like this and then have the potential, a 12.5% chance to get the
1: number one overall draft pick? Dylan, I mean, that's a great question, but for these teams that, like the Penguins, that had high expectations and to go deep in the playoffs, you know, this is not not a good uh, situation for them. So, I mean, yes, they'll have a shot, but realistically, I think the teams that finish well in the bottom, the Kings or the Red Wings and the Senators, they have the, the best chance to probably get a top pick, but you never know. It depends on the lottery balls and how that all situation fans out. I mean, we know the top player, the top prospect for the NHL draft, whatever it's going to be this year, we don't know is Alexis Lafreniere. He's going to be the top pick for whoever gets him. So, you know, everything I heard about the kid is really good. Uh, He's doing well in the Quebec hockey league. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But, yeah, for Pittsburgh, Dylan, I think they're more concerned about their their future right now. Because, remember, since 2018, the Penguins are now 1-9 and in, in their last 10 playoff games. This is dating back to the second round of the 2018 postseason, who they lost to my Washington Capitals, by the way, <laughs> that year. <laughs> and and uh, just throwing that out there. But not only that, Dylan. The Penguins are going to go through another, well, this for sure extended offseason because we don't know when the new season is supposed to start, probably December, January of next year. But remember, John, last year they traded away Phil Kessel to Arizona. And they didn't bring a, a lot of big players in. And now you're in a situation where this offseason, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang are all going to be in their 30s. And not only that, Matt Murray, you know, he's just been inconsistent. So the Penguins are going to figure out what what are they going to do? Are they going to have to move another big piece, like last year moving Phil Kessel, to try to bring in young players from the Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, Penguins squad to try to keep his team fresh when they go through another shortened but deep season going into next year? What do you think about that, Dylan?
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that team is getting older. I think that Pittsburgh Penguins they had a very small window. A very small window. And once they lost to the Washington Capitals that season in the playoffs, it's just not looked good for the Penguins in the playoffs since then. And, And you know, like you said it's a very short window. That team is getting older. With Kessel getting traded to the Coyotes he actually looked very good for the Coyotes which we'll talk about that series in just a minute as well. But you see that, and you also see Marc-Andre Fleury playing very well in Las Vegas, and they traded him away, um, so, or they they, they got <clears throat> him taken away, he was away. picked, he was picked yes, he was picked <laughs> from the Vegas Golden Knights, but still, you, you look at that, though, should they have protected Marc-Andre Fleury instead of Matt Murray?
1: Uh, you I know, mean, in hindsight, you would say, yes, now, after it was Pittsburgh, like I just said, they've been struggling for the past couple years
0: at, at this point exactly so you have to look at also what moves they're making what's the general manager doing to actually make that team better or is he making it worse with these decisions he's making so there's a lot going on in pittsburgh and it's it's one of those things that be if i were a pittsburgh fan i would be kind of scared right now because you do have this offensive talent on on Pittsburgh. You know, you Malkin and and Crosby, and you know players like that. Gensel. Him coming back into this into this series, I thought Gensel was going to be the X factor for them to move on to the next round because Gensel had been injured for quite some time, and they were really potent in the in the regular season without Gensel. So adding that piece, adding Gensel back into the equation. I was thinking, okay, well, the Penguins are going to be on fire during this entire playoff round, but it didn't happen. So the Pittsburgh Penguins have to look at themselves. I think the general manager has to look at himself, too, to say, what is happening? What do I need to do to flip this whole thing around, to make it to where I can capitalize on this small window I have in Pittsburgh for us to grab another cup before... Crosby retires before Latang retires. I mean, they have a very short window, and they'll have to do something about it to actually get to a, the Cup again. And I'm not sure what they
1: can do. So, Dylan, who do you think out of these two teams that have been knocked out? The Penguins and, of course, the Oilers. Which one do you think was the biggest upset? The Blackhawks or the Canadians?
0: In my opinion, I think the Canadians... Going into that series, I think that, again, I think that Pittsburgh Penguins were an offensive juggernaut. They were, I think, 8th, 7th or 8th in betting odds of being the Stanley Cup champion this year. Just because of their roster, and just because of the players they had there, and just because of the system they had in place, I think that Pittsburgh had a really good shot. But they just met a team in the Montreal Canadiens that wanted it more. They met a team that had the desire to move on, to show what they're worth. And again, that's what we saw with Las Vegas their first year after the expansion draft that we just saw a hungry team that was hungrier than all the other teams they faced. And they got to the Stanley cup. They didn't win it, but they got to the, they got to the top and they had a chance. And that's all you can do at the end of the day. As long as you get there to the, the last dance, you have a shot at the cup. And Pittsburgh just was not able to put it all together this season. What do you think? <clears throat> Who was your biggest upset? The Blackhawks or the Canadians?
1: I, I agree with you, Dylan. It's the Canadians. I mean, the Blackhawks. Yes, the team's been down in the playoffs the last few years, but you know they have Jonathan Tays, you know Crawford, uh, you know Seabrook, you know Andrew Side. They have players that have experience being in the playoffs because they've won cups where the Canadians, they haven't won a cup in a very, very long time. Number one, B, like I mentioned, they were free falling in the standings. And like you mentioned, they before the deadline, they were trading away all their players. So the Canadians for the fact that they were able to go toe to toe with the Penguins and beat them in four games is to me, very impressive, and the Canadians will now play the top team in the East, which we know will either be the Flyers or the Lightning, and it'll be interesting to see how how far they can go. I mean, the, the tournament's in Canada, so you know I'm sure Canada's going to root for whatever Canadian team last Canadian team is left standing. You know,
0: yeah, and depending on what happens with the Toronto um, series that's going on right now against Columbus, then both host teams in their host cities might not move on to the next round, which is mind-boggling to me. But it's just the day we live in. I mean, again, these teams that were coming in, lower seeds came in and had an agenda, and they're the ones who are capitalizing on this on this opportunity they have in front of them. And um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the playoffs. So let's move on to the next series, the Islanders versus the Panthers. Going into the series, I kind of had this thought that the Panthers we're just too young. It, the system was just too new with Quinville being there. And it just, they didn't have time for that system to be put in place yet for the Florida Panthers to be successful in this series. And I was proved right. The Islanders came in with experience and they played better of the two teams.
1: Yes, Dylan. The Islanders did very well in this series against the Florida Panthers. Barry Trots, you know, he's known to be a. Very defensive-minded coach. And Simon Vorlarloff, the goalie for the New York Islanders, did very well in this series. A lot of people forget, in, in game one, that was a very close game. And he had 27 saves in that game to get the Islanders to, a, a win, to give them a head start. And in game two, Jordan Eberle was taking over for the Islanders in that game. And they went 4-2. The Panthers were able to save off elimination in game three. And then the Islanders just blew the doors off in game four, winning that game 5-1. Anthony Mouvier, you know, had a pretty good performance with two goals. So the Islanders, Dylan, I'm not surprised to beat the Panthers. I agree that, like you said, Joe Quinville there, it's a young team, still trying to learn the system. And with all this time off, it was probably a lot difficult for them to go against a fast-paced Islanders team. But the Islanders were proven to me to be the better team in this series and they cruise by pretty easily and now it's gonna be interesting to see who they'll play in the first round of the playoffs.
0: Yeah, uh like you said, I mean this this has just been a very interesting qualifier round because these teams are coming in hungry against teams that it's kind of like the lightning from last year. They come in and they're complacent and the last few games of the season they say oh we've got this we'll just play laxadaisical and then they go into the first round and they get blown up and they they get swept in the first round like we we did not expect that to happen last year with the lightning and going into this this qualifier i was kind of hesitant on on JDF sports i'm on the puck off show there with chris nosick and and we were talking about all these series going in and we were talking about who was going to win and and who was going to advance and such and you know, I, I, my picks were not very good compared to what actually happened compared to the results that were actually there. And it's because a lot of these teams were undervalued because everyone was on an even playing field going into this because every team was healthy. Every team was strong. Every team was ready to play. And so I think there was some complacency that happened especially with some of these teams that were higher seeds, like the Predators, which we'll talk about in just a moment as well, which, I mean, it didn't really lead to complacency with the Preds. They actually played pretty strong, but they just got met with Darcy Kemper. But again, we'll talk about that in a second. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting that what's happened here, and I'm sure we'll probably see the top four seeds from each conference play better than what they've been playing right now. Going into these these series because they won it and they I think they're just better teams. That's the reason why they're in the top four in the first place. But we'll just have to see. Again, this is unlike anything we've ever seen before. This is like the March Madness for NHL hockey, and I'm just really intrigued to see what happens moving forward. But now let's go to the next series: the Coyotes versus the Preds. The Coyotes beat the Predators three to one in the series. Some notes on my end, you know we made some timely mistakes. The Predators made some timely mistakes that ultimately cost them games. There were some turnovers that happened that led straight to goals for the Coyotes. And I think that was the biggest thing that happened in this game. Now in this series as a whole too, but I think that the Predators were the better team in pretty much 80% of this series. I think the Predators came in with a very solid game plan they were able to attack the net, uh, the Arizona Coyotes net. They were able to play a very strong defensive game. They had some lapses. Uh, I, I do think that there were some defensive lapses to where, again, they led to goals, which wouldn't happen in a normal circumstance. But, again, these this, the way we've been playing, the way it's been to where it's four months off and then they get thrown into this, this qualifying tournament, it's something we've never seen before. And they just had some mistakes they shouldn't have made. And if if it was a regular season, going into the postseason, instantly, I think we would have probably seen it differently. But having the time off, both teams were healthy. And they got, they, they met head on with a very strong Darcy Kemper in goal for the Coyotes. Darcy Kemper played a very strong series. He didn't let up too many goals. I think there was one game where the Predators did win that he didn't look the best but he stole them games. There were several scoring opportunities. The Predators had his number and he just came in at the very last second and caught it with a glove or hit it with his pad. Like He was playing lights out this entire series. Kudos to him, but I still think the Predators as a team played better than the Coyotes the entire time. And another big thing too is that we had Soros and Net the entire series, but there was a back-to-back. Game two and game three happened on consecutive days. In my opinion, I think that game three should have gone to Pekka. I think Pekka should have at least had a chance in net. That would have given him confidence that Coach Hines says, you know, we're going to give you a chance to go in there and prove yourself. And I think Pekka would have proved himself in that game. However, he wasn't given the shot. We lost game three. Going into game four, we actually tied it with 30 seconds left in the game. Uh, Philip Forsberg actually scored the goal with uh, a six a six on five, actually, at the very end of the game. We pulled UC Soros for that opportunity. But, you know, after that, once we went to overtime, a very, very, you know, uh, interesting play in the front of the net where a Coyotes player was right there, puck sitting there in the blue ice, and he just shoveled it in for the game-winning goal. It's just not very good puck luck for the Predators and they just they had several bounces that bounced off the post that they could have gotten as a goal but again coulda woulda shoulda hindsight's 2020 at this point it was Darcy Kemper that they just could not they could not get in into his mind they could not play the game they should have played but at the end of the day they get to go home and later on in the show, during my final thoughts, talk more about what the Predators should do moving forward uh, from this moment. So what do you think about the Coyotes and Preds series?
1: Well, Dylan, what I was going to ask you was, is, what do you think about how John Hines did taking the team over and what improvements you think he can make in the for the team going forward? I think John Hines
0: did a very good job with what he had. And I think, given the time that he did with the month training camp that they had, I think he did a very good job talking to the players, learning what makes the players tick, and finding out what their strengths are. Because going into the season, whenever he got called by David Poyle to become the new head coach, that day they had a game. He was behind the bench that day, and... Didn't really have time to get to know the players. Didn't really have a a good time to implement his system. He only had bits and pieces throughout the season where he was able to talk to them about these these systems he was willing to put in place. So I think with the time off, he did a very good job. Again, the team played very well. Ryan Ellis, during his press conference after the game, after Game 4, was talking about the fact that this team, the mindset they had going into this series was much different than the the mindset they had last year going against the Dallas Stars when they lost. And their mindset after the series, too, is that, look, we were the better team this series. Last year against Dallas, we were not the better team. Dallas deserved to win that series. But in this series, we were clearly the better team. It just didn't go our way. And so... I think he's going to have to figure out some sort of personnel change. I know that they have some some salary cap issues going on right now, too. They have Mikael Granlund and Craig Smith that are free agents after this season. So we'll see what happens with them. I don't think they should bring them back. I think they should probably keep that salary cap to where they can possibly bring in another piece if they can. If not, I think that it might be time for some of the younger guys to come up, which I'll talk about that again in my final thoughts, but... I think John Hines did a great job with what he had and the time he had. I think John Hines did a great job, and I think he'll do well with the team. It just takes time for a system to be put in place, and he has a head start now, so that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, Dylan, one thing I was going to ask you um, just before we move on. So you, you mentioned, we you talked about Peck and play he didn't play. So I was, my question is, what do you think the Preds are going to do with goaltending going forward as an under free agency.
0: You know, I think that Pekka is still going to play for the Preds next season in some sort of capacity. If it's not 50-50, it might be a 60-40 split with Saros. I think Pekka just needed time to be off to to focus on his game, to focus on how he plays, to focus on what's going on in his life, to make it to where he wasn't playing as well this season as he had in other seasons. Because he did, he had... Played very, very strong. This was the first year that Pekka did not have a playoff start for the National Predators. So, I think it messes with his psyche at that point. And the season messed with his psyche. I think coming into training camp and going into the exhibition game, he had 30 minutes to play in that game, about 30 minutes, and played very, very well. UC Soros started that game. Pecarina came in the second half against the Dallas Stars and played the type of game that we are used to seeing Pekka play. But at the end of the day, they decide to go with Soros. And I think that Pekka just needs to focus on himself, focus on his game, and come in next season and vie for the starting starting position of goaltender for the National Predators going into next season. I think that he can do it. I think he'll make Soros better in the process. But I I don't think we've seen the last of Pekka I think a lot of people have been saying that. A lot of fans have been saying that. Um, I, I don't think he's necessarily the backup right now. I think he might still be the starter. I hope he's still the starter because I think he still has some, some play left in him. But again, I, I think I think that Pekka will come in and, and prove that he is still has what it takes to be a starting goaltender in the league
1: next year. All right, Dylan. Well, on that note, let's move on to the next series. The Rangers got swept by the hurricanes in that series. Uh that did happen not like speaking, but you know, uh the Rangers I felt really struggled in the series. Uh Anthony Panera was like their best player, but Zabinjad and Kreider and Strom just couldn't wasn't enough to keep them in it. And Henry Lundqvist, I mean, that guy tried. He really tried this all those three games, but Carolina just kept going.
0: Yeah, Carolina proved they wanted to be in the playoffs and proved they deserved to be in the playoffs this year. They had outstanding play from everybody. Everybody contributed to that that series win. Um, like you said, Lundquist on the Rangers side, he does not deserve all the blame at all. I think that he, in the first game especially, was very strong. Second game, he was, I think his confidence was a bit low just because of the way the team was playing in front of him and that's why he gave up some easy goals in the second game. Um, Shusterkin came in in place of Lundqvist in that series, about halfway through that series, and didn't make a difference, a huge difference anyway, in this series. I think that, you know, to me, Lundqvist, he did a great job, and I think Shusterkin going in net at the beginning of the series, it might have changed the outcome to where it was a 3-1 series instead of a 3-0 series, I don't think it would have made it to where the Rangers would have won. I think that just the team as a whole lost that lost that series. It wasn't Lundqvist, it wasn't Sterkin's fault. Um, I think the team as a whole lost it series. But the thing is, though, the offense on that team—Panarin, Kreider, Zabinijad, Strom—where were they? Especially Panarin. Panarin should be the superstar on that team. He was touted coming out of Columbus to be the savior on offense, to be the, the guy in New York. But we watched his play, and it didn't turn out that way, especially in a series like this, especially in a series against a strong team like, like Carolina. To prove he is a superstar in the league, Panarin should have stepped up and scored more than he did. And he didn't. He, he just he came out flat. And he scored a few goals, I believe. I think I think he scored two goals, uh, two assists, maybe, something like that. But, uh, you know, he just did not play to the caliber he should have been playing at to be a superstar in the league. And and that that's tough for the Rangers. I think they were depending on that, and he wasn't able to produce.
1: I just find it so ironic, Dylan, that – because we talked about this in our last podcast where her, Carolina was like, we got to play the Rangers. They swept us all season. Blah, 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 and now look what happened.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Carolina, again, Carolina just came out and, and proved that they deserved to be in the playoffs, and and they didn't take the Rangers for granted. I, I think that that's a good thing. I think I think they came out saying that to also pump up the Rangers a bit to say, oh, no, we're scared to play you. Now, the Rangers come in being complacent at that point, And they come in, and the Hurricanes just go off. And they played very well in this series. They deserved to sweep in the series. Kudos to them. Again, I I think that it was a very strong team performance by the Carolina Hurricanes, and it'll be really intriguing to see what happens with them in the playoffs once the brackets get solidified. We'll talk more about that um, our next show. But once the brackets get solidified, we'll be able to dive more into those games and, and go from there. But let's move on to the next series, the Maple Leafs and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, this series has been a zero, uh, has been a series. It's been a very, very back-and-forth series. The series is tied now 2-2. Two to two, And the last two games actually went to overtime. Last night, the game went to overtime. Austin Matthews won it for them in overtime. Um, and Game 5 is going to be on Sunday. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens here. Who do you think will be moving on in this series, Toronto or Columbus?
1: Uh, Dylan, it's a tough call, but I, the team that I think that's going to move on, uh, just for me, out of an entertainment value, but just because I think teams, despite this, blowing the game last night, I think will bounce back and move on, is the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Columbus Blue Jackets, Dylan, they've been hanging in the series, going back and forth. Their goaltender, Elvis Merzolikins, I hope I said his name right, <laughs> is done pretty well for the Blue Jackets. you also got to look at uh, Dubois. And look at Dubois, he's done pretty well. And they also have uh, Felino still there. So the Blue Jackets, Dylan, I think they just missed the opportunity last night. To put it away, they, they messed up. And I think John Tortorella is going to motivate this team to bounce back and perform better. And they'll find a way to win. And their offense, they know can keep them in the games. So they know they can score with Toronto. Toronto, on the other hand, it's going to be on their goal their goalie. And Austin Matthews has to step up. I know he got a goal last night, but JT, John Tavares, got to get a little more, but he's stepping up. So it's going to be a very, you know, Nylander as well, a very uh, interesting series between those two teams. But I think, you know the Blue Jackets in that squad with Cam Atkinson. They're going to find a way to Dylan to pull this out tomorrow.
0: I think so too. I think I I, I would say it's going to be Toronto simply because of the offensive firepower they have there, and also after that game last night, going in overtime and Austin Matthews scoring the game winner, the momentum swung over to Toronto. It would deflate other teams, however. This is a Columbus Blue Jackets team that is led by John Tortorella behind the bench. John Tortorella, in my opinion, is the coach of the year. He's done a fantastic job with that roster, especially with the piece they lost last year in free agency, and I think that he, they're going to be able to win this series and move on, and it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what they can do in the next round if they do move on because they're just a very strong team. Pierre-Luc Dubois, like you said earlier, he's played very well in this series, there was one game where John Tortorella actually gave him an earful and he got on the ice and scored a hat trick after that. Like he is playing very well. Tortorella knows how to push his players buttons to make them produce on offense and on defense and in goaltending and special teams. He just knows what to do to get the most out of his team and he's going to do that in game 5 against the Toronto Maple Leafs and they're going to move forward into the next round. But it's it's really going to be a great game to watch and I just can't wait to see it on Sunday Sunday 8 p.m. definitely make sure you watch that now let's move on to some round Robin games most of these games the teams have been playing these games as like warm-ups for the next round they know they're going to be in the next round so why get injured why get hurt let's just make it to where we get warmed up we know you know we get our legs underneath us and go forward but you know, today, there are actually two very crucial games happening today. One's happening right now, Vegas Golden Knights versus Colorado. And then tonight, we got Philadelphia versus Tampa Bay. As of right now, Vegas Golden Knights are actually leading the Colorado Avalanche by a score of 3-2 to two in the third, with about four minutes left to go in the game. And both of these games have very, very high implications because it leads to the number one seed going into the tournament— So if Vegas holds on, they could be number one seed going into the West and the East will be decided later this evening. But what are some of the games that you've seen in this round robin that have kind of caught your eye or teams that you've seen in this round robin that have caught your eye moving forward and seeing what they can do going into the playoffs? Well, in the West, it's
1: been the stellar Player of the, the Colorado Avalanche, even though they are losing to Vegas right now. But Colorado was on a tear. They've, they've done very well in the, the run robin side of the bracket. Uh, St. Louis has been kind of struggling, so I kind of found it a bit surprised. But like you said, most of these teams, still in, they know they're going to be in the next round. They're just trying to fight for seeding and see how that goes. In the East, well, I'll tell you one thing. My Capitals certainly have not done well the first couple of games. Uh, Alex Ovechkin, two games, no goals. Uh, Brain Holtby, I know, has not played, but he is expected to play tomorrow against Boston. Uh Kuznetsov hasn't got anything going. He has Oshie's got anything going. So for us, like Travis Boyd, is he scored our long goal in our last game. And then against Tampa, which is our first opponent. I mean, Tampa Bay, that was a close game. Uh Kuznetsov had a goal. Richard Panik had a goal. And, you know, but... Carl Haglund didn't show up. You know, Ovechkin and Oshie had nothing to show for. Rana had nothing to go. And even Tom Wilson. So, you know, the Capitals, I think, are coasting by, it seems, because we know we're going to make it the next round. But like I just said, we now know, playing Boston, We either, if we win against Boston tomorrow, we'll play, uh, we'll play the New York Islanders. If we lose, then we end up playing Carolina. And either way, it's going to be t- two tough teams that play very well defensive. I mean, for the Capitals, it's going to be like, oh, we played Carolina last year and they beat us in seven games. So, you know, uh, we're going to, have to deal with those guys again, it looks like, if we lose. So that's very interesting. But I do have to comment real quick on the East, the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, this team has been doing really decently. And I didn't expect them, I mean, to play this well, but they've done good. Scott Layton, he's done pretty well for the Flyers in their last couple of games so i think the flyers are gonna do if it's be interesting if they can hang in there and beat tampa tonight because if they do then they'll have the number one seed and they play montreal so we'll see how that those two teams go especially with tampa not having stamp you know it's gonna be a very different dynamic with those two styles of play yeah
0: that's interesting I- too that tampa has played so well but they've they haven't had their captain this entire time with Stamkos, because Stamkos is still injured. He's still hindered by that. So we'll see what happens going into the playoffs to see if they actually get him back at any point during this Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup playoff series. But like you said, the Flyers have been playing very, very well, especially Cam Talbot and Nett. Um, that team is just very, very strong. And they're going to really do good things in the playoffs when they get to... Um, the next series they play in. Whoever they play up against, I think they'll have a really good shot of defeating because I was sleeping on the Flyers a bit. I didn't think they were going to play as hard as they have, but they've taken the opportunity they have to get the number one overall, the number one seed um, in the the East, and they're capitalizing on it. Again, it's all about capitalizing on your opportunities, and Philadelphia is doing that. Philadelphia is playing with that drive, that passion to get to the number one spot to where they have a better shot of actually making it to the Cup this year. Um, they're going to be a very strong team to beat going into the next round. And it's it, whoever gets in their way, watch out, because the Flyers are coming at you. Um, like you said, on the Western Conference side, Vegas, when they were coming into the playoffs, we kind of thought they were going to be a strong team anyway. They've continued that strong play going in. But Colorado, like you said, they are a young team. They're a feisty team, and they, they can... You know, really, really ride with the best of them. I-, I think the Colorado's played a very, very strong overall game, and we'll see how that plays out in the next next phase of the Stanley Cup Finals this year.
1: Yeah, Dylan, that's uh, great, great. So, Dylan, my my next question is: is do you think the NHL would, af- after this playoffs is over? Do you think that they would consider maybe not this upcoming season, but the following season when Seattle joins expand the playoffs
0: in my opinion, expanding it, I think they will consider it expanding it to the twenty four team format we've seen so far. I don't think they'll do that. I think that you know they have sixteen games in a normal playoff series for the NHL. I think that they could possibly expand to 20 teams and make it to where there's a few more wild cards in the in the in the playoffs simply because of how close the wild card competition has been the past several years in both conferences. Both conferences have very very strong teams to where, you know, those final two wild card spots are there's just only a few points in between these teams to see who actually gets them. So I think it's very competitive there. I think to make it to where it's a 20-team playoff instead of a, a 16-team playoff would probably be the sweet spot. But again, I mean, I, I think that they shouldn't expand completely to 24 teams. It kind of loses loses its luster, I guess you could say, in the sense that if you do win the Cup with 24 teams in the playoffs, I mean, if you do well in the regular season and make it to the pl- the playoffs, then there are only, what, 8 teams that are missing out it doesn't make it to where it's that that important anymore in my opinion. So, I think having 20 teams it would be okay, having 24 it's a bit of a stretch, but I do think there's something they need they need to adopt moving forward in the playoffs and it's reseeding after each round. I think that going from the bracket format they've been doing the past few years going back to reseeding, I think that that's a great idea. We'll see how it actually plays out in this in this playoff. Format this year, but I like the idea of reseeding. I think that's fair to all teams that are playing, and it gives teams some more drive to actually get in the top four spots in the league. Uh, I think that that's something that we we need to see. It, it gives you know more competition, uh, higher competition in these seasons, and I think that reseeding is a perfect a perfect addition to the playoffs. What do you think?
1: Yeah, Dylan, I I, I agree with you. I think. Because I was reading an article about the other day and I was thinking, you know, maybe when Seattle joins next year, maybe next fall, that maybe the NHL would consider our probably expanding the league. I mean, let's <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I know with everything going on right now with uh, COVID-19 and the sports coming back, baseball, they're expanding their playoffs for a couple years. It looks like at least a couple years. The NFL's doing that now and – Major League Soccer is doing 18 playoff teams. So I'm like, you know what? Since everybody's in expansion mode, hopefully college football playoff. Uh, let's, <laughs> yeah, let's hopefully so. NH- Jeez. Let, let's get the NHL, you know. And I was thinking, I agree with you. I think 20 to me sounds just right. Because I was thinking 24 doesn't make sense when you have 32 teams and you're, you're going to have the other eight teams sitting around like, what are you going to do for like four or five months? And uh, 20 sounds right. Well, what format I would like to see if they do twenty teams is like you said they can either do wild card, so like a one game wild card, like what baseball does, or I like to see it do a like a best of three. So like you have the team eight play, or team seven play ten and eight play nine that situation, and then best of three, and then the the best whoever wins those first two games, you know, they go to the the next round. And then they'll play the next seeded teams. So that's what I'm thinking uh, as far as expansion. Twenty sounds about right. And then the other twelve teams will, you know, get ready for next season. And I, I agree with you, Dylan. I've been saying this for years. Even when the NHL went to this bracket format, I'm like, why? Why do we have to play Pittsburgh every second round? <laughs> you know, switch it to the reseeding, and then you know, teams the lower seed will play their top remaining top team. And like you said. The teams that are fighting for those top spot, it it'll be a benefit because they know if you're in the top two or top four, in this case with expanded playoff, then chances are you'll get one of the lowest teams remaining. You don't have to put yourself at risk getting knocked out by a team that's in your same division. It just makes no sense.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's probably the most logical thing to happen, especially seeing it in, in this format, actually see the proof of concept. Moving forward, I think seeing something like this is good for the league, and I think teams will be behind it too. So I think that something along those lines, having like a 20-team format for the playoffs once the expansion draft is over with and Seattle's actually in the league, and also reseeding, I think they need to be adopted as well moving forward for the NHL. So now let's move on to the MLB. MLB's had some problems, unlike the NHL. NHL's done a really good job with the, the bubble cities. And the Hub Cities and positive tests, they've had zero over the past like three weeks, four weeks. Um, It's been incredible for the NHL. But the MLB, it's been a different story. There have been some COVID-19 outbreaks with teams like the Marlins and the Cardinals. And so my question to you, JT, do you think baseball will be able to finish the season if this continues?
1: Well, Dylan, if this continues, there will obviously be no, but I know Rob Manfred and them They've said, I know a couple weeks ago he was talking about on ESPN, like if things trying like this, we may have to consider it canceling the season. But I think baseball, knowing that these teams are playing 60 games, they would rather try to get as many games in as possible. So, like the Miami Marlins, they've been back playing a couple games and they're doing double headers. So, you'll have a game in the afternoon and you got another game late at night to try to make up. And the Cardinals, whenever it's safe for them to play again, they're going to be in, in the same situation. And, I mean, that's my concern only with baseball, Dylan, is it's it's not just baseball, it's all the sports, really. They they've all are going to have that issue where, if they're not in the bubble, how are you going to make sure your players are following the protocols, you know, social distancing, wearing masks, all these things. Because for Miami and the Cardinals, what started as outbreak is a couple players going to a, a nightclub or a bar or somewhere with a bunch of people – And then they bring it to the clubhouse, and that's how they got the virus.
0: Yeah, and I I think that keeping track of your players is going to be something crucial, especially for the NFL coming up, too. We'll talk more about the NFL later in the show. But the NFL is coming up soon. They're talking about doing the same thing MLB is doing, where they're traveling to these cities. They're not doing the hub cities thing, which would be kind of hard for them to do that anyway. But they need to rely on their players to actually follow the protocols that are in place and police those things. Is we we've seen several times where again, Miami Marlins, the St. Louis Cardinals, they've gone out, they've partied, they've they've, you know, done things outside the hotels like they're not supposed to, and they end up with COVID-19 cases galore in their clubhouses, which is not a good thing for the league, not a good thing for Rob Manfred. And, you know, I hopefully this is this doesn't turn into a trend for other teams. As of right now, it's only two teams that have been majorly affected by this and they've postponed those games to potentially later in the year we're not really even sure when they're going to play these games but hopefully it gets taken care of hopefully they can continue to play baseball because it is something good to watch on tv and i'm sure baseball fans are enjoying it i'm enjoying it too on occasion when i do watch a baseball game and the braves are doing very well this season which we'll talk about the the standings in a minute as well but yeah i think they just need to put a leash in some of these players and say, look, follow the rules. And if you don't, then you probably need to go home.
1: I agree, Dylan. Well, let's talk about one of the top teams in baseball right now, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They just got their best player back, Mookie Betts, who was traded during the recent offseason for baseball from the Red Sox to the Dodgers. And they paid a lot of money for him, 365 million bucks. But Hey, you know, Mookie Betts came in made an impact for the Dodgers getting their win. I, I believe it was against the New York, or, uh, New York San Francisco Giants, excuse me. So uh, Mookie Betts, I think is going to help the Dodgers a lot and the Dodgers with Kershaw and that offense, the Dodgers are really going to try to make a beat. So try to get to the world series this year. Uh, it's going to be very interesting, especially after what happened with the Astros because everyone was talking about them before this whole situation happened. So, it's going to be interesting to see how things develop with the L.A. Dodgers this upcoming season. But, Dylan, you also mentioned the standings. I know right now the Oakland A's and the Miami Marlins have been the two hottest teams. Both teams are on six, seven-game win streaks at the moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've had some really hot teams, especially the Dodgers, too. They're 10-4. and four. Even without Mookie Betts, they've played very, very well, so... That team, being one of the richest teams anyway when it comes to salary for that team, that clubhouse, it's a very, very expensive roster. So they should be producing the way they are. Hopefully Kershaw can get over his playoff slump he's had over the past few years to where he just doesn't play well in the playoffs. Maybe this shortened season helps him a bit. Um, and They might make it to the World Series, but we'll just have to find out. So Colorado's played very well in the NL West. When it comes to NL Central, Chicago Cubs are up 10-3 in that, in that um, division there um, you look at the Miami Marlins before they had their hiatus they were actually seven and one they were actually playing pretty well the Braves though are nine and five they're second in the NL East quote-unquote um, but again they're number one right now because the Miami Marlins aren't really playing Oakland A's like you said they have had a really hot start 10 and four so far in the season which and it's their bullpen their bullpen really really good there in the Oakland A's and they continue to show that that off as as one of their strongest strengths they have. Um, the Yankees are playing very, very well too, 9-4 and in the AL East. And the AL Central Minnesota, the Twins, are playing really well, have a 10-4 and record so far throughout the season. I think the the baseball has done a good job overall. I think there have been some some things they need to tweak, especially with the COVID-19 things. I, it looks like they're doing the things to stop that right now, which is good. Hopefully it continues to stay the way it is right now. I think COVID-19 testing, the positives and such, has slowed down tremendously since St. Louis had their little scare there. So we'll see what happens. But hopefully MLB will continue to play and stay on TV for us, which will be fantastic. So let's move on to the NBA. Another league that's doing the bubble system in Disney World, our home, t- home away from home, I guess you could say, um, biggest news coming out is the 76ers. They've been playing really well in the bubble so far, but Ben Simmons left the bubble and he's having surgery.
1: Yeah, so Ben Simmons, he's going to undergo uh, author, orthoscopic surgery uh, for his knee, his left knee. So, unfortunately for him, he's going to miss the rest of the season for the Sixers. And the Sixers are going to be left with, depending on Joel Embiid and Al Horford and the guards gonna replace them will be Shake Milton. So the Sixers with the dynamic with their offense is gonna change a bit. Um, they have kind of struggled to maximize the talent for the offense for the, that team. But I mean they played the magic on last night and beat beat them 108 to 101. So it's gonna be interesting to see how the Sixers move forward. Uh the Sixers, of course, I mean they're fine, they're going to be in the playoffs. They're in the sixth seed, so they'll be fine. And the East is set now, um, so they're the sixth seed. They're going to most likely play Boston, the Celtics, in the first round. Let's how these few games go. And uh, that's going to be a tough challenge without Ben Simmons, for sure. Uh, but the the Magic, Dylan, um, even though we lost last night, because the Wizards lost, and that helped clinch us a playoff spot. So we're in. That's the good news. Uh the bad news is, if we don't start winning games because we've lost three in a row, we're going to play the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round.
0: That's not a good matchup. Um, I know they <laughs> they haven't been playing pretty well in the bubble. I know Miami, uh, Milwaukee is I believe two and two in the bubble so far. But yeah, I mean Milwaukee and and Giannis. I, you know, I don't think that's a really good matchup for Orlando. Hopefully, they can avoid that fate. Hopefully, they can start winning some games. But as of right now, it looks like a crash course directly into the Bucks, and uh, that would not be good for them. But like you were saying, the East is pretty much locked up. The West, however, is not. There are actually several teams that are on the cusp of getting in with the eighth seed. Um, but as of right now, there is a play-in series potential, which i am it's more than likely going to happen at this point. I think it's inevitable it's going to happen. So if there's a team that is within four games of the number eight seed, at the number nine spot, then there's a play in series that happens. And in this play in series, it's a best of three games. So they have to play, I'm sorry, best of two games. So they play two games. And if they're able to beat the number eight spot, two times, the number nine spot jumps over them and gets into the tournament. So as of right now, um, it looks like Dallas has clinched already. So we have Memphis, we have Portland, we have San Antonio and the Pelicans have some some a chance to get there too. The Suns have a chance as well. So we have all these teams <laughs> vying for one spot. And it's going to make for some very interesting basketball over the next week or so.
1: All I can say to that, Dylan, is who wants the golden ticket to play the Los Angeles Lakers in the first round? Who
0: wants it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that point. Which the Lakers haven't been playing that well. But again, I think it's kind of like the NHL to where... These players and these teams are just wanting to get some reps in. They're not necessarily – especially Lakers and the Bucks. These players know where they're at. They know that they're going to be in the tournament. So why get injured at this point? Just play these games, have a little fun, get some exhibition in, and then you really turn it on once the playoffs actually start.
1: Well, Dylan, what do you think about your Memphis Grizzlies? you think they're going to hang on to the eighth spot and make it?
0: I don't know. I mean, at this point, again, Portland's playing really well. Um, It's going to be really, really tough for them to hold on to that spot. Hopefully they can. I mean, it would be great to see the Grizzlies in the tournament, especially J.A. Morant. I mean, he's been playing lights out this season. Although there have been some injuries on the Grizzlies lineup, which have affected their play, uh, it would be great to see the Grizzlies in the tournament. But I don't think it's going to happen this year. But we'll just have to see what what happens. I mean, anything can happen in this in this format, and we'll see how the eight nine seed play in tournament happens. Um, hopefully, in the next week or so, we'll
1: find out for sure. All right, Dylan, let's talk some football. As we're in August, normally in August it's uh, preseason. Everyone's getting ready. to have seen a couple games, but Dylan. With everything going on with COVID-19, the NFL said there will be no preseason games. So how do you think these NFL players are taking advantage of this extra time to get ready for the season? Well, for one,
0: this is really going to affect my my fantasy football drafting techniques that I have. I always love to watch preseason just to see what players are out there that might be flying underneath the radar. But this season, that won't happen. I think the players, though, they're just going to have more time to to build relationships with their with the other players, build relationships with the coaches and focus on their game. And I know that Tom Brady came out the other day saying that having this having this no preseason things like that and having the shortened training camp, it's hindering him learning a new system, especially with him being in New England for so long, which I think it's just an excuse just in case they don't play well this season in Tampa that hey, it's just because of the way the season went, it's not because I'm <laughs> I'm declining in playing capabilities at all. I'm Tom Brady, come on. But I, I think that these teams will have to do a lot, especially the teams that have already been established, like the Tennessee Titans. The Titans are bringing back a lot of the players they had last season. They only they only have a few players that are no longer there, and they've only made a few additions in the offseason. Hopefully, Jadavion Clowney is going to be another uh, acquisition they make in the next few weeks, which we'll see what happens there. But, you know, I, I think that the teams that already have a set system in place, having Mike Vrabel come back, having the defense be the same, even though we lost our defensive coordinator, we still have Mike Vrabel, and he's probably going to be calling the shots on defense too. Um, offensive coordinator is the same. I, I think that they've, they have the right pieces in place, and a team like that is going to do very well in a season like this. I think that Tom Brady going to a brand new system Doesn't help that he's going to a brand new system. I think that if he is as skillful as people say he is, he should do well in Tampa still because he does have Rob Gronkowski. He has some good wide receivers around him too. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. But again, it's just nothing like we've ever seen before in sports. And so we'll see how these players adapt. I think they will. Um, It'll just take some time to getting used to. What do you think?
1: I think so, too, dealing with everything going on, and I think that what these players are going to do is take advantage of the time. The NFL, right now, the rosters, I believe, are at 80, 80 players, so it's going to be an adjustment. Um I think as we get closer to the season, some players will get cut here and there, but I think it's just the smart play. You have to make sure everyone's taking precaution, following the protocols, make sure everyone's doing what they got to do, and... As we get closer to the kickoff, you know, hopefully everything will run around smoothly. I mean, for most of us, we're just happy that sports is back and we just hope football can get through it in one piece, you know?
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And then on the flip side of this whole thing is that players have had the chance, the opportunity to opt out of the season as well because of coronavirus. The opt-out deadline was on Thursday at 4 p.m. There were 67 players total who opted out. Some key notes, though, here. Eight players from the Patriots, which they had probably the the biggest names that actually opted out of the season. They had eight players from the Patriots who opted out. Um, the Chargers, Falcons, Rams, and Steelers are the four teams that had zero opt-outs. They're so the only teams who had zero, for, uh, zero opt-outs, which is incredible. But most of the players who did opt-out were linemen, um, defensive linemen, things like that. Uh, just worried about the coronavirus breaking out do you think that there might be more players who decide to opt out even after the deadline? And if there is a player who decides to opt out after the deadline, what do you think the penalty would be for that player?
1: Uh, It's tough to say right now, Dylan, but after what we saw in baseball with Isabel Cespedes, what happened with New York Mets and him playing, what, a week? And then he decided, oh, I'm going to opt out. And the team, he didn't tell the team until like halfway through a game. And then they're trying to find him. His hotel room's empty. Like, where'd he go? So I would think in the NFL, it's certainly possible you could have players opt out during the season. I think how it may be a little different is, look, if <clears throat> I, I don't know how it's going to work. But I think the NFL may come down hard with maybe a fine or I don't think it's going to be a suspension or anything like that with everything going on. But uh, I could definitely see a, 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 like t- some teams try to find players for opting out in the middle of the season. But, you know, it's also kind of understanding that look at everything going on. With, you know, they have families or things like that. So they kind of have to do with this, what you got to do. And that's why I think the NFL also did expanded roster 80 players instead of, it's normally what, 50, five, 60 players. So just in case if players decide to opt out during the season. And you'll have a practice squad as well but it'll probably be a full-time practice squad because as college football is doing their own thing. You're not going to have like minor league football to compete with. The NFL is the only show in town on Sundays starting next month. So there you go.
0: Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Um, the league and the NFL PA have actually started tweaking their testing protocols. Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, Dylan, what the NFL is doing is <clears throat> this is just an, to try to work with, uh, you know, false positive results and stuff like that. So this happened after what happened with uh, Matthew Stafford. Remember, Matthew Stafford was on the reserve slash COVID nineteen list uh, because of what happened in training camp, and they did a test with him. And I think originally he had tested positive, but then he got three negative tests. So then they were able to reinstate him in the roster. So I think what the NFL is doing to try to avoid that is just try to f- do follow-up with testing, frequent testing. This is something we've seen in a lot of sports league, like what happened with, for example, the Orlando Pride. They were supposed to go to the NWCL Challenge Cup, but because many of the players tested positive, the team couldn't go. So they basically had to forfeit their season. And then days later, they... Took the testing in, and a bunch of them came back negative except one player. So, I think for the NFL, they want to try to avoid that. And then I think what also helps the NFL, Dylan, is all like NBA, NHL, soccer, other sports where you're playing <clears throat> maybe back to back or two or three days. NFL, you play one game a week. So, that does give them more time. Get players tested, get everything worked out. Get If you test positive, you quarantine, get a couple more wait a couple days, get some negative tests, and you're good to go for that Sunday or Monday night football, then you go. So I think that's what the NFL, with this protocol, is trying to fix that uh, situation.
0: Yeah, they're going to treat it like the concussion protocol in the league too. Uh, it gives them more time to make it to where, like you said, I think they can play the next week if there are a certain number of negative tests they're able to To obtain from the player, I think it'll be a really good thing for the players, and it just makes it to where it's everyone's healthy. Everyone on the field doesn't have to worry about possibly catching this virus by playing the game. Makes it safer, and they were also talking about possibly making it to where these these new face masks are gonna be used as well. I know college football is talking about it. Um, Ed Orgeron from LSU was talking about potentially having that or wearing masks while they're playing. Interesting times we live here in, in the COVID-19 world, but we'll have to see what happens going into that. But let's talk about the Washington football team, which they changed their name if, you, if you've if you been living under a rock, um, like we have at, at, at a, out of bounds. But Washington <clears throat> football team, they have now a new name, and they have cut Darius Geis after domestic violence charges led to an arrest, and he is no longer with the team now. So at this point, if... Everything happens to where he gets out. He gets out of his charges or whatever. Do you think there's going to be a team that will actually want to sign Darius Geis after this?
1: I don't know, Dylan, because remember Darius Geis, he's had problems with his knee. He's been injured a, a few times during the past couple of years, and with this situation, uh, I think a lot of teams are going to be a lot very hesitant to sign him. Uh, of course, if there was more time before the regular season started. I think somebody will give him a chance. But at this point, especially with this charge case, and we don't know how it's going to play out, no one's going to sign him. Now, if this all gets cleared out within the next six months to a year, however long this goes, and he's proven to be stay healthy, then maybe someone give him a, a shot down the road. But right now, the answer is no. And for the Redskins, I'm sorry, excuse me, Washington football team, still trying to get used to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the uh, – Washington football team, this sounds like a soccer team, seriously, <laughs> but but uh, they have Adrian Peterson, he's still there, and then uh, Peyton Barber as their second running back, so I think for their Washington football team, it's going to be fine trying to get that position all solid up, they may try to add a running back between now and then, but... I think the Washington football team, Dylan, is going to be okay for now. But other than that, I, I don't have much high prospects that they're going to do okay this season. Uh, everyone knows it's going to be either the Eagles or the Cowboys that are probably going to get out of that division. But we'll see. It's a new year with the new season. So every year there's some team that surprises everybody in the NFL. Maybe it could be the Washington football team, but I doubt it.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a really tough division to get out of, especially for Washington, but we'll just have to see what happens there. It's going to be a really interesting season, especially with all these allegations that have happened with the Washington front office and such that came out just a few weeks ago. We'll just have to see what happens there in Washington. It's going to be really interesting to uh, keep an eye on moving into the NFL season. So let's move on to college football. Their season is potentially on the brink just because of the coronavirus outbreak, and there are some scheduling changes that fans should know about.
1: Yes, Dylan. So recently everyone's been talking about, are we going to have a college football season? Are things going to happen? We just don't know with the situation with the the pandemic. So the Power 5 conference, they've been kind of steadfast all along saying, we still plan to play, we want to play, and I think as we get close to the season, they acknowledge, well, we're not going to be able to play a full season. Not everyone's going to play 12 games. So the best case scenario for us to have a season is we do conference only games. So I, so if like the SEC, they're playing a 10 game schedule, the big 12 is going to do a nine game conference schedule, one and a plus one. So have one non-conference game. The ACC, I believe is doing 10 games plus one. The other weird thing with Notre Dame or ACC is Notre Dame, at least for this upcoming season, will be a member of the ACC and not be independent. (laughs) So that's weird. Yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) Yep, and then the Big Ten, of course, they're going to do a conference-only schedule 10 games. So that's based, and then the Pac-12, it's conference-only as well, about 9, 10 games. So a lot of these big schools are going to, go to a conference schedule. But again, Dylan, with the coronavirus situation being a developing situation, we don't know how it's going to play out by next month. Now, as of right now, the, the Big 12 will go first, August 29th, followed by the Big 10 after Labor Day. The ACC will be a week later. And then towards the end of the month of September, the 26th, it'll be the Pac-12 and the SEC going. Now, the other issue with the Pac-12 is they got players saying, oh, we're going to opt out and out play, if we don't get any information from the NCAA on health protocols and what these teams are going to do to help people get tested for the virus and all these things. That's another hot mess. And they're not the only one. The Big Ten going to have the same problem. And who knows if these other conferences are going to have the same issue as well. And that's the other thing I'm thinking, Dylan, is players opting out. There's already going to be some players opting out, especially if you're a senior and you know you're going to be a top pick in the NFL. So, like with Trevor Lawrence, he decided a couple of days ago, you know, I'm committed to my teammates, I'm going to play this season because I want to win another championship. So, and, you know, I got to give Trevor Lawrence some credit for that. You know, hey, if if that's what he wants to do, to try to help his team win a championship, that that's great. But I know there will be other seniors. I'm like, no, I'm going to go to the NFL. I'm just not going to take that risk. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic that, Players off the outs gonna affect college football. We've seen how it's affected the pro sports. We'll see how it affects college football. And then of course, with the group of five conferences, well, we've known Yukon, they announced that for football, because Yukon's not part of the American Athletic Conference anymore. That's a conference that UCF is in. They aren't part of that conference. They're independent. So UConn says, we're not playing football this year. With everybody canceling games with us, we're just not gonna play. It's just not economically feasible and now you have the mac conference they announced today that they are going to postpone college football for the fall they will not play any games in the fall and will move their games over to the spring so that's gonna be interesting and like i said a lot of schools they're gonna pay all this money to play these big schools but now these schools are only playing each other so schools are gonna to have to find out how they're gonna get extra money now because they're gonna lose out on that so i think the development of college football deal is very interesting I honestly don't know if they're going to be able to play a full season. I just, With everything going on in flux, I just can't see them finishing a full season because all the other leagues, NBA, NHL, baseball, they started but then had to push the season back and pause. I can't see how college football or the NFL is going to be able to get around that by like December or January. So I think the best case scenario for college football is they'll probably do a hybrid schedule. You play four or five games in the fall. You finish the rest of the spring, try to get it done before March or April, and then you can do the NFL draft and all that. The NFL might push it back a month just to help the college players out because they got to do combine and all that. And then that's it. So I think that's the best-case scenario because I know, Dylan, the NCAA does not want to cancel college football. And the only reason, Dylan, if if you can't play in the fall, play in the spring because Division One AA is basically doing that with all their conferences post football. Division two, they're not having any fall sports. They're basically moving spring and staying division three. So the only reason why I don't feel Dylan, the NCAA is going to cancel college football because a lot of programs Dylan depend on football and that money. basketball. Yeah, that and, money and basketball for that money. So if you can't play those two sports, other pro, other colleges like Stanford, for example, are going to start cutting other sports on a smaller scale, like you know, golf or soccer or swimming, things like that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think that it's not going to be canceled. It's just going to be something uh, different. The schedule is going to be a bit of a hybrid schedule, I guess you could say, like you were saying before. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, they will definitely not cancel the season. College football will still happen, but it will just be something alternative to what we're used to seeing. And seeing spring football kind of reminds me of spring football like the XFL, which that leads us to our next point. The Rock, Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, Danny Garcia, and Redbird Capital have purchased the XFL for $15 million. It was right before the XFL went bankrupt, actually. So that's a huge acquisition by Dwayne, The Rock Johnson. He is now partial owner of the XFL. And they're talking about having a season in 2021.
1: Yes, Dylan. The Rock actually made the purchase right before the league was about to go off for auction. And we had heard all these companies bidding, Disney, Fox, all these other companies trying to bid in to buy the league. But the judge had said, out of all the bids they looked at, they felt this bid with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, his ex-wife, Danny Garcia, and her company, Red Bird Capital, Made the most sense for the league because it was stable. They got the money. They got all this, you know. And the Rocky has ties to WWE. Vince McMahon, he was a wrestler. He played football, of course, back at the University of Miami. So he has those ties. I think what was interesting was Danny Garcia said she was a big fan of the XFL back from when it first launched in 2001. And then, of course, the recent with X- XFL 2.0 this past year. So they both are very interested in the league. They see it as a big-time investment because what they want to do is they want to present like an alternative to the NFL. It's not going to try to compete with the NFL, obviously, because they're in the spring, but it's going to be an alternative type of football. And they want to make it year-round where, yes, you have spring season, but then they'll probably have maybe some exhibition games like during you know, the fall or something. And maybe – I know they talked about they want to do like a hard-knocks type of show for the league sometime at some point. So I think that's very interesting as well. And the other thing is uh, the rock and Danny Garcia said they want to expand the league. So the teams that they had, we all, we know, they're not all coming back. The only ones I can say for sure that are going to come back is the Seattle dragons, the St. Louis battle Hawks. And then of course you have the um, Houston roughnecks. Those three teams, I think for sure are going to come back, but there are teams like LA, they could move to Oakland or San Diego The Tampa Bay Vipers, there's talk about them moving to Orlando. And then, uh, which would be great for Orlando. They have a football team in the XFL back. I know Birmingham is also trying to get a team in the XFL. So I think they're going to have eight teams for next year and play a bubble schedule just to get some momentum, get people excited about the league coming back. And then 2022 will probably be a full launch and they'll probably have a couple expansion teams to join them. But no, Dylan, as a fan, I'm happy to see the XFL coming back after what happened with COVID where they got shut down. And unlike the Alliance, where actually it folded, the XFL got saved. So that's, that's good to see.
0: Yeah, one thing is, though, speaking of the Alliance, I'm sad because with this news, it pretty much sticks a fork in the Alliance of American Football League saying they are never coming back in any form or fashion. Sadly, the Orlando Apollos will still be the reigning champions of the Alliance of American Football League from now on for for the, the the rest of time, I guess you could say, they're going to be the champions of that league. But at the same time, we do possibly have a shot at getting a team here for the XFL, which would be very exciting. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that to make sure we get that news out to you once it becomes available. Now, let's move on to JT's favorite segment. It's JT's Football Recap of the Week. JT, the microphone is all yours, sir.
1: Thanks, Dylan. As always here uh, Out of Bounds, we recap the latest football news and recap of what's happening in the world of football. So here, like the NBA down the street, we also have the MLS's back tournament over at the ESPN Wild World Sports Complex. And in case you haven't watched any games, you didn't miss a lot because our beloved Orlando City soccer team has made it to the final of that tournament. Nobody saw this coming. I certainly did after covering this team for the mainland that they would go this far. And, man, for Orlando City, they've been on a great run. They were in the group stage. They did very well against Miami. They did pretty well in their next game against um, Philadelphia. They got a draw in their last game. I can't remember who they played in the second game for some reason. But they made it to the knockout round, and they beat Montreal, and then they also knocked out LAFC, who was a top team, in the tournament, we knocked him out on penalty kicks. And then in the semifinal round against Minnesota United, we dominated that team, uh, winning that game 3 1. Nani scored two goals, the captain, in that game and had an assist. Benji Michelle scored to end the game. And Oscar Perea, he talked about Nani's performance, saying, The thing that I want you all to know is that he's training every day like he's a rookie coming into the league. And we all respect him for that. In the games that he needs to appear, he's doing it. It's contagious, his energy, and respect his leadership. So the Lions, Dylan, have done very well. And now we got some money on the line and some silverware. Because Orlando City, Dylan, since they've been in MLS, they haven't won any trophies or anything like that. But on Tuesday night, if they beat Portland Timbers, they have a chance to not only win their first trophy in the MLS era, but they'll also get... Uh, Some prize money, $1.1 $1. $1 million, which you can use to buy some players, probably. Wow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then we also get a spot in the 2021 CONCACAF Champions League. So for Orlando, I mean, Oscar Pereira, this is a different team that we've seen in years past. And when MLS starts back up in a couple weeks, MLS, they just released their schedule uh for after the tournament's done on Tuesday as they're going to f- try to finish up their season. So... Dylan, your favorite soccer team, National SC, they will start us back in their home market, playing actually Dallas on August 12th. And the MLS also announced that when they get to the playoffs, since we talked about playoff expansion <laughs> earlier, they're going to have 18 teams, at least for this upcoming season, instead of the usual 14 teams. So that definitely will help Orlando. We might actually make the playoffs this year.
0: Wow. And
1: then, uh, and then uh, Orlando City, they will be playing Inter-Miami on August 22nd. During phase one, because Orlando, MLS is doing the schedule like in phases with everything going on. But we're still gonna, they're going to try to get 18 games in. So we're going to play Miami twice. We're going to play Atlanta twice. We're going to play Nashville twice. And then by next month, they'll announce the next phase of that schedule. But it's good to see with sports slowly coming back that they have all these plans in place. Now let's talk to European soccer in the UEFA Champions League. Uh, we had a big upset. Yesterday is both Real Madrid and Juventus. Both were knocked out in the Champions League. Uh, Real Madrid going out to Manchester City or to an aggregate. And then Juventus, even though they won the second leg 2-1, they lose out 2-2 in aggregate because Leon scored more away goals. And then Barcelona, they crushed Napoli today. It wasn't even close. Messi got a couple goals. So he did very well in his performance for Barcelona. And FC Bayern Munich humiliated Chelsea. Christian Pulisic did not play. He's been injured. He pulled his hamstring a couple weeks ago. So they lost 7-1 on aggregate to Bayern Munich. So now Bayern Munich and Barcelona will play each other in the next round. Champions League, which starts on Wednesday for the Champions League quarterfinals. And then speaking of Juventus, Juventus today announced they had fired their manager, Maurizio Sardi. And then three hours later, they announced that they have hired former Juve midfielder legend, Andre Pirlo uh, as their next manager. And this is very interesting, Dylan, because Andre Pirlo, he has not had any manager experience at all. I mean, he, when he, he was hired to Juventus a few weeks ago, but the plan was he was going to coach the youth squad for Juventus. But now it appears that Andre Pirlo is going to coach the senior team, the first team. So it's been very interesting because Juventus, you know, we know they've been winning Serie A, but they don't want to just win Serie A. They want to win Europe. They want to win a Champions League. So that's going to be a very interesting approach. But with that, Dylan, that concludes my football recap of the week. Now it's time to
0: talk about winners and losers. I'll start this one, JT. So with my winner, I'm going to go with Bill Belichick. With this opt-out period, he's had eight players opt-out, Patrick Chung being one of them. Um, they, they had some pretty big names actually getting opt-out opt out of the Patriots organization this season. So with Bill Belichick, this is a great opportunity for him to actually tank this season and get Trevor Lawrence as their quarterback next <laughs> year in the draft. So I, I think that this is a really good, sneaky way Bill Belichick can actually get Trevor Lawrence and not look like he's tanking, but he actually is tanking. Even though they have Cam Newton there, they have Jarrett Siddham there too, I think that they have some good quarterbacks, but at the same time, they are no Trevor Lawrence, and so I think he'd rather have Cam Newton be the starting quarterback there, and Trevor Lawrence being the backup, sitting on the bench, learning from Cam Newton, and then stepping in, and being the star there in New England. So that's my take on that situation. My loser, though, this week, is Rob Manfred. Now, leading up to today, he has not done a very good job with this MLB is back process. With the coronavirus outbreak, with not doing hub cities for this league, I think that he made some very, very poor decisions. And they've been amplified because all eyes were on that sport when it started back. It was one of the first sports to start back. And having all this mess happen, especially with the the negotiations between the PA and the league uh, about coming back and trying to figure out some sort of solution when it came to pay. It was just a hot mess there with the league office. So I think Rob Manfred is my loser and that's why. So JT, I'll go to you now.
1: Yes, Dylan. So my winner this week is the bubble. And I don't mean just a bubble. I'm talking about, of course, (laughs) You know, the bubble format with a lot of these leagues, like Major League Soccer is doing at Disney World, also the NBA. And then you have the WNBA, who's down the road in Bradenton near Tampa. And then you also have the NHL up in Canada over in Edmonton and Toronto. So those four leagues, Dylan, I know people are like, why are they doing the bubble? What are they doing? You look at all this stuff. And yes, initially it was a tough start for all of them, some positive cases here and there. But for basically the past month, Dylan, They've had no positive tests. Each player's getting tested like every other day and they've been very strict on the protocol and no one gets in and out except a few like Lou Williams. <laughs> you know, getting some few, chicken but... wings. He was getting some chicken <laughs> yeah. wings. Come on. Uh, in a gentleman's club, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, there's been a few uh, cases. But for the most part, the bubble has been pretty successful. So that has been a successful format. It's worked. It'll be interesting to see I mean, I hope it doesn't go into next year. But if it does, if other leagues like Major League Baseball, the NFL, we know the XFL is going to do it. And other leagues try to do a bubble in the future. So that's just something to keep in mind if this thing continues. Hopefully not, though. And then my loser this week is going to be college sports. And, yes, I, we talked earlier about college football. But, guys, it's not just college football that's going to be affected. Even other sports from soccer, field hockey, swimming, wrestling, all these sports are going to be affected because like I mentioned, some college programs like university of Cincinnati, they cut their soccer program done by because of the coronavirus pandemic. We've seen a lot of leagues push back their sports from the fall to the spring season. And we've also seen some leagues like the Patriot league cancel like sports entirely or the Ivy leagues, like putting everything on hold and, probably going to end up canceling everything. So that's, to me, been the biggest loser, Dylan, is college sports. And especially because the players, Dylan, they don't have much protection. It's not like the professional sports where you have a union, these players are getting paid, you got commissioners, and they all got to work out come to agreement. And college is not like that. It's like the schools are basically running the show, and the players just have to figure out what they want to do. So I hope the NCAA will address this issue down the road and just put protection for these student-athletes because they need that. So that is my illusion this week. Uh, Dylan, anything else you want to add before we go to the final thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, with college sports, I do understand that it's... The players are really getting shafted in the situation, I guess you could say, because the league has no... NCAA has no plan when it comes to addressing these situations, these issues that are occurring right now. And it, it's it's so sad to know that something like this, a global pandemic, is making it to where the development of these these college athletes who potentially are going to these professional leagues like the NFL, the NBA, MLS, they're unable, they're getting their, their growth stunted just because of a situation like this. It's very sad to see. Hopefully they do come to a resolution, but it's going to be really hard to do so simply because of all the moving parts that happen in NCAA. But hopefully something comes, comes to pass to where all college athletes are able to overcome this, and I think they will at the end of the
1: day. Yeah, so the only thing that positive see with the NCAA so far is they did announce that if any player opts out during the any sports season, they said they will if if they're on a scholarship, they will honor that scholarship. They will not lose your scholarship. So that's one piece of good news. Yep. But I still think the NCAA should do more.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on to final thoughts. JT, I'll start with you first.
1: Yes, Dylan. So for my final thought, let's talk about the Seattle Kraken. No, we're not talking about, you know, release the Kraken and Kraken Rum and all that stuff. Yes, that's the actual team name. Me and Dylan had this debate last month. But in my opinion, you know, I think the name, okay, it's probably not the greatest name, but it's pretty cool. And it was the most popular name that Seattle fans voted for and they won. And it's pretty cool. It's better than Sockeyes. I mean, come on, you want Fear the Octopus? Or do you want to fear of salmon? It's a no-brainer, Dylan. You go with the octopus. Why do you think Detroit right wings are throw all over the ice? In Nashville, you know it's predators, but you got catfish. So, yep. you know, yep. there you go. So, you know, in Seattle, I used I used to live in Olympia about an hour south. But, you know, it's Port City. See, uh, it just kind of goes to the theme. So I think it makes sense. But And the jerseys, that's all great, too. And can't wait to see them play next year. But the one that I want to talk about Seattle – with the team is that the team for the front office, what they're doing is, you know, very diverse group of staff that they have for the team. And the team also made history as the team announced yesterday, they hired Everett Fitzhugh. Uh, he will become the NHL's first black team broadcaster. And I think though, this is really cool because obviously he's making history uh, being the first uh, African-American team broadcaster for a professional hockey team. Um, and he's talked about having experience because he was uh, doing play-by-play for games uh, for the Cincinnati Cyclones and the ECHL. And he had been there for five years. So he's talked about, you know, I've been preparing for this opportunity for a, a long time to uh, get my chance to, to go to the NFL. And I'll just share a little bit what he said here, Dill. He said, as someone who's worked in hockey for over a decade, and who has a long-held passion for broadcasting hockey to be name part of a broadcast team and con- content team for a brand new NHL franchise, Brazilian one with an organization as strong as the Kraken, is a dream come true. So, and he's talked about getting to NHL has always been his dream goal. So, I'm glad to see Seattle acknowledge that and giving him this opportunity. Uh, I don't know where my future will be when I'm done with school, but uh, I'll definitely with everything that's going on with Seattle. They've done killing with marketing too. They're selling lots of jerseys, lots of merchandise. So, I, if I'm still on the East Coast, I'll probably stay up late. Not all oh, very often, but I'll probably stay up late to catch a few uh, Seattle Kraken games for sure.
0: Well, about the Seattle Kraken, let's just end on this note here too. On your on your point, the Seattle Kraken to me sounds like an Alliance of American Football League name. But again, it was the best name they had. I think it is a good name. I didn't like it at first. I think it'll grow on me as the seasons go on. But yes, I will definitely be watching their games. And their color scheme, their branding has been fantastic so far. Great A. And I can't wait to see what they do in the league uh, moving forward once they actually start playing in the league. But another piece of news before we get to my final thought. The Vegas Golden Knights and Colorado Avalanche went to overtime. And the Golden Knights actually won against Colorado, making them the number one seed in the Western Conference moving forward, which is good news for them. So now going well, on my final they'll th- play Chicago. Exactly. Wow. They'll play Chicago. So that's going to be a really, really good series to watch. So definitely watch out for that one. But my final thought goes out to the Nashville Predators. Now, Predators fans, I know you want to burn this whole organization down. You want the general manager, David Poyle to be fired. You want John Hines to get out the door and find another coach. I completely understand where you're coming from, but I don't think that's the right course of action right now. With the series that we just watched, I believe this team has a fire in them. They have the opportunity to become a Stanley Cup contender once again, but they have to change a few of their pieces. And some of the pieces they have, Mikhail Granlund, Craig Smith, those two players are free agents after this season. I think those two players will probably be playing for another team next season. I think the Predators need to look inside themselves, and when I mean that, I mean that they should be looking at their younger players they have in the AHL. The hottest team in the AHL last season was the Milwaukee Admirals, the farm team of the Nashville Predators. So at the end of the day, we have the talent there to bring to Nashville to see what they're worth. Ellie Tolvanen, uh, Philip Tomasino in the OHL. I know he wasn't AHL, but OHL. Uh, Alexander Carrier. We have these players in the AHL. Rem Pitlick, That can come up and contribute to this team to make it a better team next season. And if they don't, we need to see what they can do on the ice anyway for the National Predators and for the National Hockey League. So let's get them in there, get them their reps, and see if they can contribute to this team to make this team better. We have Matt Duchesne for a while. We have Ryan Johansson for a while. Philip Forsberg's locked in. Victor Arvidsson's locked in. Rocco Grimaldi's locked in. Let's get some of these younger players that have smaller contracts on the line in the lineup and see if they can produce for the National Predators. If they can do so, we will be successful in the league. We have the veteran presence and we also have the youth. Like we saw in Chicago, Chicago did that. They have experience, they have youth, and they're moving on to the next round of the Stanley Cup finals, uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. I think that the National Predators can do the same exact thing. We have the farm team to do so. We just need to put it together for next season. And trust in David Poyle for now. Trust in John Hines for now and wait until after next season. I have a feeling we're going to have a very good result after next season if these things come to pass. So that's my final thought. But thank you for listening to the show this week, guys. You can follow us on all social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. Where OOB Podcasts is our handle for all those all those avenues that you can find us so make sure you follow us there you can follow me on twitter it's dylan underscore james you can also follow me on instagram dylan james underscore fl and jt what are your social media handles sir
1: you guys can follow me on twitter at jtsocca88 that's at jtsocca88 and you can also follow me on instagram my instagram is at jtsocca sports
0: Fantastic. Well, JT, it was so good to hear your voice once again, sir. Uh, you know, I, I I love doing this show. I'm so glad we're getting back on the on the airwaves for everyone to listen. Do you have anything else to say before we head off the air?
1: No, other than uh, I hope everyone's doing well this weekend. Uh, if you've got kids and they're going back to school, hopefully they go back to school safely. I hope everyone else is staying safe, being, uh everything with social distancing, and you know, just take care of yourself. That's all I could say. And uh, hopefully we'll have more better days ahead as we keep going through these challenging times.
0: Exactly. Stay safe out there. Social distance. And we'll talk to you guys very soon. We will be doing shows for right now. Um, every two weeks we'll be doing a show. So keep, keep an eye out on our social media channels there and subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, all those podcast platforms were everywhere. So make sure you subscribe there and you'll get the latest episodes from here at Out of Bounds. I'm Dylan James, and we'll talk to you guys next time.